Shabbat Shalom, everyone. <clears throat> Again, welcome to the harvest. Just one left. Is that beautiful? That is just beautiful. I love that. One day away, and it's Shavuot. So today I want to speak on uh, Shavuot, Pentecost. I've entitled it Pentecost. Speaking boldly with confidence. So nearly 2,000 years ago, the second and greater Pentecost ignited a fire in the heart of believers that resulted in a confidence to speak truth boldly like never before. As we fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit, we too will find the courage and boldness to speak the truth in love. The world will lash out at us in a baseless hatred, while many will respond and be saved. This is the way it's always been and will continue to be until Yeshua returns. So let's memorialize Pentecost this year by being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit as we join Yeshua in advancing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. This is our heritage this is our legacy. Tomorrow's Pentecost celebration memorializes that which took place 2,000 years ago. A reminder to be filled daily with the Holy Spirit. We're to be filled up every day. Paul makes it clear to be filled up over and over and over with the Holy Spirit. To wake up in the morning praising God and asking the Holy Spirit to fill us with power so that we can be God's witness in the world that we live in. It's a memorial to the outpoured spirit. The giving of the law, becoming God's people, the giving of the law, and the outpoured spirit. This is exciting in every way because really it's our legacy. It's ours. Every generation is the recipient of this heritage leaving a legacy, legacy for the following generation to come. So let's recap last week. We were in Acts chapter 2, looking at the second and greater Pentecost. I just want to pick that up to give us a frame of reference for what I want to speak on today. Acts chapter 2, 14 through 16. The event has already taken place. Uh, uh, the, the great rushing wind, all the phenomenon of languages of fire, uh, the ecstatic joy of the disciples and everyone gathering and hearing in their own hearing what they were saying to the Lord. Just amazing. Other people said, nah, they're drunk. Those are the followers of Yeshua from Nazareth, right? They're just drunk. Verse 14, but Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose. For it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Then he quotes Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is the promise 
fulfilled at Pentecost, that God would pour out his spirit, not just on Jews, but Jews and Gentiles, on everyone that would respond to the gospel, God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit. It's a new era. The last days of the law and the prophets, it was transpiring before their very eyes. The end of an era was, was, was right there on the precipice. They were transitioning into the new covenants, the new and greater Moses, Yeshua the Messiah, the new and greater Passover, and now the new and greater Pentecost. And God said the earmarks of that would be this, that everyone would know me. Everyone who believes in my son would have a personal relationship with me, and they would have my spirit in them along with the Torah written on their hearts. This is the meaning of the second and greater Pentecost. Now, there's a really striking passage that follows verse 19. It's often just overlooked or set aside because it just doesn't fit the narrative that we want. But it goes on to say, and I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. What's that all about? Right? Wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and smoke. The sun being turned to darkness and the moon into blood. What is this all about? It's the end of an era. It's an end of an age. It's the transition from the law and the prophets to the era of Messiah. This is a new beginning in so many ways. The Spirit of God's going to break forth, just like it says in Malachi. And God's going to be worshipped all over the planet. It's no longer confined to Jerusalem. Something big is taking place. Something imminent in their day. The hearers of these words in their day. They were the ones put on notice of something huge is happening. Some major global event is transpiring before their very eyes. It's the last days. The days of the prophets and the Torah coming to an end, giving way to the era of Messiah. In fact, let me read this, okay? Um, when we look at wonders in the sky above, when you think of the sky the Greek word here is not just in reference to the sun and the moon and, and the stars and their places in, in, in the sky. It's also a reference to heaven, the realm of heaven. Some translations actually use the word heaven instead of sky. Now I want you to keep this in mind as we look at these signs and wonders. Were there signs and wonders? Were there great signs and wonders that took place when Yeshua uh, walk the earth. Yeah, what about those signs and wonders? Do they fit the season of Acts chapter 2? Keep in mind, 50 days earlier, they're at Pentecost. What was 50 days earlier? The Passover. Where the Son of God came as the Lamb of God and gave up his life in a bloody scourging and sacrifice. The heavens shook and the earth trembled. Let me read some of these accounts. This is from Matthew, chapter 27, 45 through 53. 
Jesus is on the cross. Matthew writes, Now, from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. Darkness for three hours. Jerusalem was covered in darkness. The, 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 the Judea, that whole area, in darkness. The sun, it says, in, in, I'm going to grant signs and wonders, right? And all of a sudden we have this darkness for three hours right in the midst of Jesus on the cross. And keep in mind, he splattered in his own blood. It was a bloody sacrifice. His blood being poured out for us. Jesus cried out at the ninth hour with a loud voice saying, saying Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put, a reed, put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let's see whether Elijah will come and save him. Then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. The veil in the temple that protected the Holy of Holies was so heavy it took many men just to hang it, just to carry it. It was so heavy, so thick. It's not, no one's going to go tear that. What, what do you think it's going to take to tear that size of a curtain? It has to be some pretty big natural phenomenon to result in that being torn, right? But it said it was torn from, from the top to the bottom and the earth shook. We call that an earthquake. There was an earthquake. It shook and rocks were split. The tombs were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. This is the prophet Joel. These are the last days that he spoke of. We've got earthquake. We've got the sun going dark. We've got the son of, of God in his own blood on a cross. What we see written in Acts 2 has already transpired over the last 50 days. That's why Peter's saying what Joel spoke about, it's happening, open your eyes. Even people raised from the dead walking around. This is a huge event. The transition from one era to another. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. In Matthew 28, I read verses 1 through 7. Just shortly after this event, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake, not, not a small one, a severe earthquake had occurred. Yeah, one, one occurred just earlier on Friday. Can you imagine all, all that's going on in the hearts and minds of the people? They're thinking, man, this is the end of the world. 
And then here we are, Sunday morning. Huge, severe earthquake. It's happening again. For an angel that the Lord from, descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They passed out. They were so overwhelmed, they passed out or they faked it, which is also a good thing to do when you think your life's going to end. But either way, they became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here, for he has arisen just as he said, come and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And then we even have 10 days before Pentecost, the ascension of Jesus. Another supernatural event witnessed by many people. So in summary, these words that Peter sang, quoting Joel, and Peter saying, hey, it's here, it's happening. The last days are breaking forth. Yeah. Blood, fire, smoke, earthquakes. Think about it, right? The bloody scourging and crucifixion of Messiah, three hours of darkness during the crucifixion, a mighty earthquake, at the moment of his death on the cross, and then a resurrection, multiple resurrections of people in Jerusalem. And then you have on the heels of that another mighty earthquake and the resurrection of Messiah. A glorious and powerful angel comes that even the Romans could see. From what? Heaven, the sky, came, descended from the sky. Just like he said, you're going to see signs and wonders granted to you from the sky, the heavenlies. This is fulfillment. This is why Peter's saying this is being fulfilled. What, you're, what you read in Joel is being fulfilled now. I know all the futurists want to put that in the future. Boring. It's always in the future. It's never in your future. It won't be in your future. It's going to be in the future. It's always in the future. Ah, you can tell I don't like the futurists. No, I love them. I just don't like their view. Okay. Now, well, let's not go there. Okay. This whole thing that we're witnessing, that we're reading, undoubtedly, is the initial fulfillment of the last days. The transition from the law and the prophets to the era of Messiah. And when you move from the law and the prophets to the era of Messiah, the law isn't set aside, falls right on through. It's written on our hearts. So I'm not talking about the law being done away with at all. It's just that we're under the rule and reign of Messiah. Finally, what the law and the prophets prophesied finally came, Messiah and his kingdom. Seventy A.D. Seventy A.D. Look what takes place just another couple decades after these events. Professor Gentry, in his book *The Beast of Revelation*, states, "Quote: The Jewish war with Rome from A.D. 67 to 70 brought about the deaths of tens of thousands of the Jews in Judea and the enslavement of thousands upon thousands more." The Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, who was an eyewitness, records that 1,100,000 Jews perished in the siege of Jerusalem. 
It was called the Great Tribulation. Jesus said it was coming, get ready. Now one stone's going to be left upon another. It's not in your future, it's in our past. 1,100,000 Jews perished in the siege of Jerusalem. Even though this figure is disputed, J. L. von Moschim, the great ecclesiastical historian, wrote that, quote, throughout the whole history of the human race, we meet with but few, if any, instances of slaughter and devastation at all to be compared with 70 A.D. Josephus says it was the greatest tribulation Israel had ever been through, bar none. The mayhem, the bloodshed, the cannibalism in Jerusalem where women were eating their children. Yeah, this occurred between 68 and 70 AD. It's unprecedented in Jewish history. Truly the great tribulation that Jesus warned about. Jerusalem was on fire for days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. Burning, burning, all of Jerusalem, right? Billows of smoke, day after day, going up. You know what that did to the sun? If you were there in Jerusalem, you'd look at the sun, and it was like someone put sackcloth over the sun. You ever see the sun when there's a lot of smoke? It like turns, it's, it's kind of blackened, like sackcloth. What happens to the moon when you look through the filter of smoke at the moon? Blood red, blood red. I mean, are you catching what, what he said in Joel? Signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. Jerusalem covered in blood. Do you realize what they did? You know what they were doing under the siege? If, if someone tried to escape, they'd capture him, and they would flog him, and then crucify him, and then flip him over the walls of Jerusalem so that the, the person that tried to escape is crucified for all to see his blood all over him and the wall. And they did that with so many Jewish people that tried to escape that the walls of Jerusalem were colored, colored with the blood of men and women who had tried to, tried to escape. Blood, fire, vapor of smoke. Sun like sackcloth, the moon like blood. So this whole issue of what Jesus warned about is described in Luke 21 as the vengeance of the Lord. It's the days of vengeance of the Lord our God. So the great and glorious day, you know, when we talk about the great and terrible day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is the day of judgment. Truly this was one of those days of the Lord. Luke 21, let me read this for you, 20 through 22. Jesus said, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. The armies of Rome make desolate. The armies of Rome are the desolation of Jerusalem. When you see the desolation spoken of by Daniel, what was that? Invading armies again, Gentile armies coming down against Jerusalem. Jesus says, yeah, that's going to happen again. And when you see Rome's armies, know that Jerusalem is going to be desolated again. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those who are in the midst of the city must leave. 
And those who are in the country must not enter the city because these are the days of vengeance so that all things which are written will be fulfilled, including Joel, and it's being fulfilled, both in their hearing and within decades to follow, Joel's prophecies are rolling out with all the other ones. Trials and tribulations are mixed with the blessings and liberation brought by the gospel. This is the paradox of the gospel. The good news is that we can be right with God, forgiven, reconciled to God, filled with the joy of the, of the Spirit of God, and then pursued and persecuted by a cruel beast system facing many, many tribulations because of our faith. What a paradox. You know, it's that bittersweet that we find in our uh, walk with the Lord. Acts 14, 21 through 22 qualifies it as this. After they preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. How do you enter? Through crisis. How'd you come to faith? Through crisis. I don't know of anyone that didn't come through crisis. God uses crisis to bring us to himself. He's always used that. It's no different for us today. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It says they encourage them. Stay the course. Stay the course. Don't give up. Finish the course. Be a finisher, not a fader. Many, many, many people fade away. Many people grow passive and they slowly disengage and they begin to fade away from loyalty to God and his ways. You, you see it, I see it, we all see it, right? We've got to encourage each other. Stay the course, finish the course. It's not how fast you run, it's how well you finish. Acts 2 and verse 21 goes on to say, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why? Because people typically don't call on the name of the Lord without blood, fire, vapor, and smoke coming to their lives. Most people don't come to faith until they have an enormous need for the Lord. So God allows crisis to come. And believe me, crisis comes to all of us in our lives. It's just the way of the world. But it's through the crisis that we typically get on our knees and cry out to God. So after the prophecy of Joel and all the bad things that Jesus said were coming, he was saying, be, be encouraged though, because there's going to be a whole lot of people that are going to be ready to respond to my love, my goodness, my peace, my joy. They're going to enter into the kingdom. So get ready for them. Eileen gave us a word, a beautiful word. We've been praying into that word. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Disciples are coming. We're have to, a lot of believers are going to be coming, and we, we, we're going to have to get ready to disciple them. Yeah, I, I think they're going to come because I think things are getting a lot worse. They're getting a lot worse. The good news is, with the worse, comes a softening of hearts and a response to the gospel 
that results in the advance of the kingdom. So we need to get ready for them. Yeshua said in John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. We've all heard the phrase, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. That's just a remix of Jesus' message. That's Jesus, okay, today in a song. He's saying tribulation comes to all of us. Trust in me, I'll bring you through, and you'll be stronger. We see that throughout the epistles of Paul. That message is, is, is given to us in many different ways. Now I want you to think about what we've been through. The coronavirus, which hit us in, what, January of 2020. The coronavirus. Let me say this. If it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. If it kills you, you'll get a promotion anyway. The believer has nowhere to go but up. But if it doesn't kill you, you'll be stronger. You'll have antibodies, T cells, you'll just be, you know, you'll have this, 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 this immunity that's a beautiful thing. The virus comes to kill you, your body responds by the grace of God, and it becomes stronger than what it was before. Think of the forced shutdowns in 2020. It decimated our community. It cut our attendance in half. It cut our giving in half. We're just beginning to rebuild. But we have really struggled. I informed our staff, our board of directors, and our elders in March of this year that if things don't turn around quickly, that we would have to reduce our staff by about 50% in order just to stay afloat. Now, the thing that makes this so painful and troubling is that when you cut staff, it also is a cut in ministries supported by those staff, which knocks the church back again. It's not just our church that struggles. It's every church. What the government-mandated shutdowns did devastated the church, not just businesses, the churches. Many churches didn't survive. Others won't. They're not going to make it through 2021. So we have some huge challenges ahead of us, painful challenges ahead of us. The good news is, if it doesn't kill us, it's going to make us stronger. By the grace of God, if we make it, and I think we still will, but things are quite challenging, we're going to be stronger than ever. But the challenges are huge. We're going to keep fighting the darkness. 
as we faithfully share the gospel of, of the kingdom of Messiah with all whom God puts in our paths. The enemy has infiltrated the nation. Our government has become a beast system. Business churches and citizens across America have been devastated with the extreme government shutdowns. But we will continue to resist the beast system as we speak up and speak out on God's behalf. This is what we do. It's what Joel prophesied. It's in the last days that God's going to pour forth of his spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your sons and daughters are going to speak out. They're going to be the representatives of God in our nation. They will bring the gospel. They will bring correction. They will bring rebuke to, to a culture that's gone cancerous. This is what Pentecost was designed to do even under the Roman Empire. Do you realize that there's a really pretty solid view that it's the church that caused the collapse of the Roman beast system? I happen to take that view. I believe that's exactly what happened. Let me read Acts chapter 4. We'll go down through this as we kind of wind this up. They, they, you know, the disciples in the midst of all their challenges just stayed faithful. That's all they did. They just stayed faithful. We're going to stay faithful. No matter what happens to the harvest, we're just going to continue. That's all we can do. That's, who we're, that's what we're called to do, right? We don't know what God's going to do. Can't we, you know, that, God's going to do what God's going to do. Our job is to be faithful to him, speak on his behalf his word, to share the gospel with those around us that are, that are going to be more responsive as time goes on. So they've been, you know, sharing who Jesus is post-resurrection in the temple, and it stirred up a lot of problems for them. It says, as they were speaking to the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, the disciples of Jesus, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Got to shut them up. They're running around prophesying, speaking the word of God, proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. Shut them up. You, you need to censor them. Silence them. We can't let that message get out. The beast system is always about censorship. I'm telling you, the enemies try to use this coronavirus to silence the church, to silence the people of God. And the world isn't done using it, by the way. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, uh, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Good questions. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we were on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, 
as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He, Yeshua, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief corner stone. They were filled with the Spirit, and they were prophesying. They were speaking to the powers of their day, bringing reproof, even correction and revelation, because that's what we do. That's what we do. We're called to speak forth on God's behalf His words. They go on to say, and there is uh, salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Yeshua, Aramaic. Jesus, English. There is no other name by which a person can be saved. Well, I'm Jewish. So? I mean, what? What does that mean? You're Jewish. See, if, if you don't put your faith in the Jewish Messiah, what good is that at the end of the day? Do you think when you stand before God, he's going to ask you the question, are you Jewish? He's going to ask, how did you respond to my son? Did you believe in my son as the atonement given for your sins? My lamb offered on your behalf. That's the question. Well, I'm one of the lost tribes. Really? What does that mean at the end of the day? You think God's going to say, yeah, which of the ten lost tribes do you belong to? No, he's going to ask, what did you do about Yeshua, my son? Well, I'm fill in the blank. A lot of ethnic pride going around nowadays. So just put in whatever, whatever your sizzle is. I'm this, I'm that. Okay, good. That's not the question God's going to ask when you stand before him. There's only one name under heaven by which a man can be saved. Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Better do business with God on that because that's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Ah, I'm out of time, man. I wish I could. I wish I could. You two can stay. You know what I'm going to do? Thank you. Who said, who said part two? We're, we're going to do part two tomorrow at our Shavuot service. I'm going to finish this tomorrow. Okay. Uh, but let me just at least finish this verse. They observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Big question. Who, who sits on, on the board of the NFL? Who sits on the boards of education? Who sits on the boards of the medical community? Right? Who sits on any professional boards anywhere in America that don't have accredited degrees from some university? Why did God choose 
the uneducated and the untrained to build and lead his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever wondered about that? God, what are you doing? You honestly cho- you chose, he smells like fish. I mean, P- Peter's a fisherman. He's going to be like one of your board, board men, right? What are you thinking, Lord, right? Mary Magdalene? She was a prostitute. Why did God choose the uneducated and the untrained? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 says this. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Yeshua the Messiah who came or who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written let him who boasts boast in the lord now let me qualify that i'm not against degrees from accredited universities not against those at all they have their place that's important but when it comes to the spiritual kingdom of god god doesn't need that he can use it or not use it it's 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 not a requirement to serve god if i need a surgeon i'm bypassing all you i don't care how much you speak in tongues and you know, how you can move in this or that gift. I'm telling you right now, when I need a surgeon, I'm looking for someone who's formally accredited and has formal accredited training and experience in operating. That's where I'm going to. But when it comes to my spiritual life, I'm not asking my surgeon. That's not his forte. That's not his experience. So, so, so understand that God is choosing the average and the ordinary and saying, come, come build my kingdom. Come and shake the world that we live in. Be the changers. Advance my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. All you need is a pure heart and a willingness to follow in my steps. And I'll raise you up, and I'll use you. And it'll be the most extraordinary experience of a lifetime. That's the invite. That's what's available to you and me. So regardless of our professional status in life, recognize that God is using you and wants to use you in a spiritual dynamic as well. Run with that. Be used of God. Be filled with the Spirit and be used for His glory. Hak Shabbat Shalom. See you tomorrow at Pentecost.